Coming to you from Vreda House Studios in Pasadena, California, this is Bible Study, Parody and Subversion in Matthew's Gospel. So I'm back at home now. The intense heat wave is over, but now we have wildfires. That's the thing with global warming and climate change. Whether you think about it or not, whether you're prepared for it or not, whether you believe in it or not, it's happening. It doesn't matter if you think it's a Chinese hoax, as someone named DJ Trump used to say. It doesn't matter if you believe in nutty conspiracy theories about a cabal of elite scientists funded by George Soros, who have teamed up with journalists and politicians in the deep state to simultaneously convince us of global warming and run a gay Muslim socialist pedophile ring. It doesn't matter what you believe. The global temperatures keep going up. The fires multiply and get more intense. The hurricanes get stronger. Droughts and floods increase. And eventually, it's going to cause food shortages even in the wealthy countries of the world. The propagandists of the dominant economic system have told us to consume as much as we can so that the economy can expand and create more jobs and produce more stuff for us, and that we can do this forever and ever. Amen. And when many of us began to see through this web of deceit and began to name the absurdity of endless economic growth and consumption, the wealthy interests of the world split into two camps. One continues to sound reasonable, sometimes allowing modest interventions into the market, moderate limits on consumption, or maybe some sort of green redirection of consumption. The other has produced a massive right-wing media of alternative facts, conspiracy theories, and pseudo-populism that attacks the first camp, accusing it of being the cabal of elites that we have to watch out for. And of course, they're partly right, but mostly wrong. So now, especially in the United States, that is the spectrum of debate. Somewhat moderate, endless economic growth and consumption, or unlimited, supposedly unregulated, full-bore economic growth, drill baby drill. That's the debate, we are told. Meanwhile, real facts, real science, and the common knowledge and obvious truths of our shared humanity are suppressed. It's clearer than ever that we are all in the same boat, the same boat called planet Earth, and that we need to learn how to share and how to care for each other and take care of what is left. But these obvious truths that many ten-year-olds could tell us get left out of the dominant discourse, which is controlled by the elite no matter what they call themselves, no matter how much of so-called middle America falls for the con. Unfortunately, we the people can be divided by constructs of race and class and meritocracy. We are a divided people, and the obvious truths that we all know deep down are harder and harder to access. The wisdom is there within us. It's just being suppressed. Jesus faced a similar situation in Galilee in the first century. 
In the last episode, we ended with Jesus' judgment on the towns in Galilee, where Jesus had preached his message and performed his signs, but had been largely rejected by the dominant households and those under their sway. I made the assertion that the judgment that Jesus proclaims is aimed primarily at the ruling households of those towns. The next few verses, which conclude chapter 11, reinforce this interpretation. Jesus speaks of himself as the conduit of God's wisdom to the common people. In other words, wisdom goes straight from God to Jesus, a peasant, to the common people, bypassing the upper classes, the elite households. In these verses, Jesus proclaims through true wisdom liberation of the peasantry from upper-class domination. My name is Bert Newton, and this is Episode 28 of Bible Study, Parody and Subversion in Matthew's Gospel. first two verses of today's text, Jesus again turns to the theme of wisdom, something which the upper classes thought themselves to be the sole possessors of. Let's read Matthew 11, verses 25 and 26, just two verses. Matthew eleven twenty-five 25 to 26. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Throughout this podcast series, I have highlighted the theme of wisdom and how Jesus is portrayed as a peasant wisdom teacher whose wisdom runs counter to the wisdom of the upper classes and who triumphs over them. In the last two episodes, we encountered the theme of of the revealing of secrets and the theme of being able to see and hear or understand. These last two verses bring all of that together. The truth is revealed, but only to those referred to here as infants, and it is hidden from the wise. Infants, of course, is an ironic way of referring to the common people who lack formal education. Jesus calls them infants because that is how the upper classes view them. But ironically, only they get the revelation of truth. Only they can see and understand, while the upper classes, who think themselves wise, remain blind, unable to see. Then Jesus says in verse 27, the next verse, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Now, traditionally, these verses have been interpreted as being about a high Christology, an exclusive salvation. Jesus is the only Son of God, and only through Jesus does anyone have access to God. 
but put in context of the larger chapter and also in the context of first century politics and economics, the thrust of these verses changes dramatically. Jesus is here using the language of patronage to describe who becomes the beneficiary of true wisdom from God. And I've been told that I've been pronouncing a word wrong, the word patron. I've been pronouncing it patron, but it's properly pronounced patron. I think I was just, i that's the way I would probably have used it outside of this study, but in this study I was looking at patronage. And you can say patronage, but I think that has a little different connotation. The patronage system, and so I was using the word, I was saying the word patron. Anyway, I'm going to start saying patron because apparently that's how you say it. Anyway, so he says, all things have been handed over to me by my father and I give them to those whom I choose. He's using the language of patronage. In episode 14 on chapter 7 of Matthew, I suggested that Jesus rejects those who want to see him as a patron and themselves as his brokers. They say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, look what we did in your name. But Jesus rejects them because he rejects the whole Roman patronage system. But here, in an ironic sense, Jesus sets himself up not as a patron, but as the broker of God's benefits, of God's wisdom. God is the patron. God is the great patron who displaces all the smaller patrons. And Jesus uses father language for God. Patrons were fathers. I have previously argued that God as father in Matthew displaces all the fathers of the empire, from the fathers of the local households all the way up to Big Daddy Caesar. This verse makes that all clear. God is called father here and spoken of as a patron. The fathers were the patrons in that system. Jesus speaks of God as the great patron who gives him, a peasant, the truth bypassing all the fathers of the great households who think of themselves as the patrons of everything, including truth, bypassing all the fathers of the great households so that he, Jesus, can then reveal the truth to the common people, the peasantry, and the societal outcasts. Wisdom goes from God to Jesus to the peasants and societal outcasts, completely circumventing the upper classes. Jesus uses patronage language here to subvert the patronage system, to subvert the whole patriarchal system of the empire. The great fathers and patrons of the empire are pushed aside. God gives the truth to Jesus and Jesus reveals it to the people. So Jesus continues in verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here Jesus speaks as wisdom, quoting the words of a teacher in the service of Lady Wisdom. It comes from Sirach. In Sirach 51, 23 to 28, 
the author speaks for and about Lady Wisdom, saying, Come to me, you who are uneducated, and lodge in the house of instruction. Acquire wisdom for yourselves without money. Put your neck under her yoke, and let your souls receive instruction. It is to be found close by. See with your own eyes that I have labored but little and found for myself much rest. You can hear the parallel. So here Matthew portrays Jesus not just as a wisdom teacher, but as the wisdom of God. Sirach says, put your neck under her yoke. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. The image of the yoke has a double meaning. On the one hand, it is an image that is used for educational apprenticeship, as in the quote from Sirach that I just read, which has a strong parallel to Matthew, in which Matthew, in a way, sort of subverts. Someone who becomes the student of a teacher takes on the yoke of that teacher, or the yoke of wisdom. But the image of a yoke also refers to political rule, and often to oppression, the yoke of oppression, such as in Isaiah 9.4. In that passage, a passage interpreted as messianic by New Testament writers, the liberator is said to break the yoke of oppression. It reads, this is Isaiah 9.4, For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken. The Hebrew scriptures use the term yoke repeatedly to refer to political rule or authority. If the ruling power is oppressive, then the yoke would be understood as a heavy yoke, and it is contrasted with the yoke of God or the yoke of Torah or the yoke of wisdom, which is understood as easy or kind. Jesus is not saying that the discipleship that he calls people to is easy in the sense of not being difficult or risky, but that the rule or government of the new society places a kinder, more merciful yoke on the people. It is not oppressive. It is the yoke of God, the yoke of true wisdom. A paraphrase of his words might be, Come to me, you tired workers, those weighed down by oppression, and I will give you rest. Take the yoke of the wisdom of the new society on your shoulders and be my students, for I am gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For this yoke of wisdom is merciful, and its burden is light. Life in any society requires work and learning, but the work and the learning do not have to be heavy and cruel. Matthew's Jesus proclaims that the yoke of the new society will be kind and merciful, the yoke of true wisdom. I'm going to leave it there for today, and I'm going to take a bit of a research break to give me some time to do some proper research and write some more episodes. Ideally, I would have liked to get through chapter 13 before taking a longer break, but life being what it is, I was unable to get all the research and writing to the place where it needs to be to get those episodes out. That would be about six more episodes to get through chapter 13. So we, you are in this with me, we will take a break 
so that I can get some research and writing done. And then I'll come back and go through chapter 13, at which point I may take another break. Thanks for all your support. Thanks for all the ratings and reviews that you have given. And thanks for spreading the word, continuing to spread the word. Please continue to spread the word. Be safe. Take on the yoke of true wisdom and enter into the rest of God's new society. My name is Bert Newton. The music has been provided by Bob Nolte and David Martin. And this has been episode 28 of Bible Study, Parody and Subversion in Matthew's Gospel. Um.